Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. I mean, you heard the calling, and, and that's, uh, that's it. The whole message is, is summarized in, in that one desire, is to, is to invite the nations, invite the, the peoples of the earth to come and be a, a part of what God is doing in the world today. And so I, f- I feel so blessed and so honored uh, to be among you this morning, and uh, grateful for, for the many people in this, in this place that have have, we've known for so long. Thank you, Rabbi Schiller, Rabbi David. Um, also, the Chazan, Rusty, I always make a thank you. I always make a joke because he was the one that kept my Hebrew from getting rusty when I was, when, before my bar mitzvah. So, um, I wanted to share a message out of this week's Torah portion. I think it's always fitting. It's amazing what you can get from the weekly Torah portion um, and how fitting it is for the time that we're living in, but that's just the way God designed his word, his Torah. It's always applicable um, to us. And so this week's Torah portion, we're in the portion Shalach, if we could get the first slide up. Shalach, Shalach Lecha, which means send for yourself. And really, I think what I want to share is, is kind of the calling, right? We have Joshua and Caleb's call to this generation. So how does their message that they were speaking to the Jewish people, the Israelites, so many years ago, what does that mean for us today? What was their calling? And I think it's a continual calling that we see throughout the generations. This isn't a one-time call that they were making to the Israelite nation at that time, but it's a continual, continual calling that is upon us all as well in, in today's world. And to be honest, This is a story about the spies, the spies that go into the land of Israel. They're spying out the land. They're seeing, is the land good? You know, is the land, is, you know, where do we enter? How do we enter? But to be honest, I would say that the the story of the spies is actually an unfortunate story because the story of the spies was never meant to be. And the story of, of the disciples even was never meant to be. You see, the story of, of the spies, and I want to connect this to the disciples and not just the disciples of Yeshua of his time, but also us as followers of Yeshua. It wasn't the story that was meant to be. It's the story that we are now in because we were supposed to be walking with God in a garden. And we weren't supposed to be exploring a land and telling the people, hey, the land is good. Enter into God's prom- promises and covenants. But that's the time that we live in. It's an unfortunate time. It's a sad time. We rejected the goodness of God. We rejected from the very beginning. Man couldn't walk with God. And as uh, Dr. John Garr has said, you know, it, it, wasn't, it was never man following after, desiring God. It was always God desiring man. <laughs> He's always wanted a relationship with man. From the very... It's interesting, from the very first call that God made in the Garden of Eden, it says God was walking, and Adam and Eve hid because they heard God walking in the garden. And God said a very interesting word in Hebrew. He said the word ayeka, where are you? And it wasn't an angry word. 
The word ayek is not an angry word, and it's not a disappointed word. It's a cry of anguish from a father looking for his children, saying, why would you hide from me? How could you hide from me? I'm wanting to walk with you. I'm wanting to have a relationship with you. You know, the word ayeka is connected to the Hebrew word eich, which means how. How could this happen? How could you do this? And not only is it connected to the word how, but it's also the Hebrew letters that spell out the, the word ayeka are the very same Hebrew letters that are the name of a book of, of, of the Tanakh. And that's the book Eicha, Lamentations. It's God's lament, desiring to be reconciled with his children. And it's very interesting and it's very fitting because the book of Eicha, the book of Lamentations, is read on a very specific date in the Jewish calendar. And that date is Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is the ninth of Av. It's the day on which the two, the Beit HaMikdash, the two, Beit, the two temples were destroyed, the first and the second temple. And it's continued to be something, a, a day of tragedy for the Jewish people. But the first tragedy, the first day that made this day a day written for, for, for all of history, to be written as a day of tragedy, was guess what? The day of the spies. When the people wouldn't enter into God's covenant and promises. That was the first day that this day was remembered in history. And so the spies are not, they weren't necessary in the beginning. And in the end, they won't be necessary. But right now, we're in the time of the spies, we're in the time of the disciples. But what we're working towards. As it says in Habakkuk 2.14, we're looking for the day, as it says, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I love, I have a friend in Israel, Ari Abramowitz, and he loves to talk about swimming in godliness. Like, that's what I'm looking forward to, the day of, that I get to just swim in godliness. No more concerns of the world, no more distractions. I just get to be with him. That's what we're looking for, for the glory of God to cover the earth. Jeremiah 31, 34, it talks about the Brit Chadashah, the new covenant made with Israel. It says, no longer will each man teach his neighbor and his brothers saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. That's what we're working towards. That's the mission of the spies. The story of the spies is one to call to the people saying, know the Lord. The mission of the spies is to be those who call and fill the, the, the world with the knowledge of the glory of God. So let's go to this week's parsha, Shlach Lecha. Let's go to the next slide. Shlach Lecha anashim ve'etu et eretz kenan asher ani noten lifnei Yisrael. So God's telling Moses, send men, send out for yourself men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. But immediately, we have a problem. It doesn't say, do this because I said it. He says, shlach lecha. Send for yourself. Send for yourself, men. Are you, are you, if you're not willing to enter into the covenants and promises, then spy it out. Do what you want. I told you that the land is good. Next slide. In Deuteronomy 1, 22 through 23, this just shows that 
exactly, it finds more evidence that this wasn't God's plan. This wasn't God's original idea. It says in there, it says that the people came to Moshe and said, let us send men before us and let them spy out the land. And then Moshe says, and the plan pleased me well. Where's God in this whole picture? The plan pleased me and the people said, let us send men. And God says, shlach lecha, send for yourself men. What does one need spies for? The next slide lets us know. It says in Exodus 3.8 and Deuteronomy 1.8, it says, I have come down, this is Hashem speaking, I have come down to rescue them and to bring them out of Egypt to a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess it. Let's go to the slide before. So Deuteronomy 1.8, go in and possess the land. God's saying, do this. And what's the grand plan of the Israelites? Let's send men before us. And the plan pleased Moshe, and they sent men. But Hashem had said, we'll go back to the the slide with the, Hashem had said, it's a good and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, to give them and their descendants. You see, the spies, even in this story, are totally unnecessary. What do you send spies out for? When I, if I were to send out spies, it would be the question of where do we go in the first place? Where, where do we go, right? But God had said where they were supposed to be. God had said where they were supposed to go. He, all he said was go in and possess it. He didn't say spy it out. Don't, don't go check it out. Don't see if it's a good land or maybe we should go to Saudi Arabia because there's oil there. He didn't say any of that. He said, go in and possess the land. This, this was the promise. Take hold of the promise. And the people weren't willing. And so they came together and they said, let's send forth men. You see, you send out spies if you're uncertain of your destination or your vic- of victory or uncertain of your route. But when you know that God's with you and, and you know that what land he's talking about, what's the need for spies? God told them, this is the land of milk and honey. And the people said, let's send men. Let's send men to spy out the land. Let's see the fruit. Let's see it and see if we can conquer it. See if the land is good. Questioning God's, God's word. See if the land is good. He told you the land is good. Go in and possess it. Go and take the land. You know, it's interesting because up to this point in the journey, Israel has had God. God has been their tour guide. God has been the one leading and guiding them. We'll go to the next slide. God has been leading the children of Israel. He says, and the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud to guide their way by day and in a pillar of fire to give them light by night so that they could travel by day or night. And the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle in the sight of the house of Israel through all of their journeys. Every single one of their journeys, God has been guiding them and leading them from the point that they left Egypt until the point that, they end, that they're here at the promised land. And then all of a sudden, we're not following the pillar of cloud anymore. The children of Israel decided, let's send men. 
for, for the whole time. You've been walking and following after God, and he's been there leading you and guiding you and providing for you, and, and he's telling you, I brought you out. You know, it says in, the, I believe, Hosea, with tender cords of love, I drew you. God loves his people, and he's, he's drawing them to himself. See, and, and this is not just the story of Israel, because we can just sit here and, and, and look at the Israelites and say, how stupid. How, like, why don't you get it? God's right there, and he's trying to guide you and lead you, and he's calling you back to, to, to himself, and he's saying, I'm going to be with you, and we're going to go to the land of Israel, and we're going to walk together like we didn't do in the garden. And the children of Israel are not willing to enter in. The cloud of the Lord has guided the nation of Israel this whole time. They're not willing. But are we also not willing? God is... I speak to myself. He's made so many promises and he's been so, so faithful. And through all of my journeys, the cloud has been there. And I'm still saying, I'm going to check this out for myself. Let's send men. Let's send spies. The question is, is, is God guiding us on our journey, or are we trying to define our journey? Let's go to the next slide. Because I think this is where we start getting the message, not just looking at Israel, but also looking at Yeshua's disciples. Because for me, I don't see a difference. The story of the spies is the story of the disciples, is the story of us, is the story of those who come after us. The story has always been the same, and that is enter into the promises and covenants of God. God has said, enter into the promises. Obviously, there were different outcomes. The disciples were rejected because, because the people's hearts weren't ready and the spies rejected the land because they weren't ready. But in Matthew 10, Yeshua calls his disciples and he said, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power and Yeshua sent out and commanded them. They're also sent out, just like the spies were. They were sent out saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what the message is today? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It never changed. It's not, it's not McDonald's Happy Meal. That's not the, that's not the message. It's not get all you want, when you want, how you want. You know, and, and here's, here's, the, here's the story, is that, and, and we're going to get to that, but when you go into the land of Israel, neither is that. When you enter into the covenants and promises, it's still hard. It's not easy. It's still hard. But it's worth it. As I heard one, one friend of ours say, you know, this, this path that we're on is hard. It's difficult. But there's no other path I'd want to be on. 
there's no other journey that I would want to be on because this one is worth it. And not only is it worth it, but he is worthy of it all. So the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's been the same from the time of the spies. That's what the spies were saying. Let's enter, up. Let's enter into the land of Israel. Let's enter into the promises because the kingdom is at hand. The, spy, the, the disciples, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It still is. And it's waiting for people who are willing to grab it and run. Is this the generation? Next slide. Very interesting in Greek, the words, and Yeshua sent out, translates the word apostello. He sent out apostles. What do we get from apostles? The Hebrew word is shalach, which is what? It's our Torah portion. He sent out shlachim, emissaries, people who would bring the message of the kingdom of heaven. Same as the spies. Spies were supposed to go into the land. And what was their journey? What was their purpose? Their message wasn't to come and make a, make, a, make a decision on whether they're going into the land or not. Their purpose was to go into the land and tell the rest of the people, the land is good and God is with us, just like Joshua and Caleb, go in and take possession. But they didn't. They weren't willing to enter in. So let's go to the, the next slide. Numbers 1317. And it's interesting because most translations translate this to mean go up through the south. So Moshe says, Moshe sent them, and he said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. But that's not what this actually says. It doesn't say go up to the mountains. It's very interesting because it says, we'll go to the next slide. It says, Ve'elitim et haha. And this canon should literally be translated and, and ascend the mountain. You know, it's interesting, the word et, like the Aleph and Tav, basically what it does is it gives um, specificity to a, to a word. It means, it's very specific. When you use the word et, it means this. Like, like if I, I were to say, Et it's my dog, or, or um, something like that. Et it's his dog. Or, but, it, but it means that, it's, that it belongs to someone or something. It's very specific. It's not like hakelev, um, the dog, or kelev, a dog. It's like this is my dog, or this, is, this belongs to somebody, or this is something very specific. And then it says haha, the mountain. And what mountain are we talking about? What, what mountain are they supposed to go to? When you go to the land of Israel, what, what mountain would, would you think you would go to? Mount Zion. Why would you go to Mount Zion? As the prophets say, for in Mount Zion, there will be deliverance. This is the place where God's name will rest forever. You go to the mountain. We're talking about the mountain. It's interesting because it says, it uses the word Ve'alitem, which comes from the root word Allah, which is connected to the Hebrew word Aliyah, which we know to mean, currently it means, or the way it's been translated today is you make Aliyah means you go and move to Israel. But, but any time that you go to Israel, you're making Aliyah. 
We just did an Aliyah here. We did Aliyah because people came up to read from the Bhima, from the Torah. That's Aliyah. You're making ascension. You're making spiritual ascension to ascend. Also returning, making Aliyah, but you're also returning. So when you're outside the land of Israel, you're making Aliyah to Israel. And when you're inside the land of Israel, you're making Aliyah to Yerushalayim. And when you're in Yerushalayim, you're making Aliyah to Habibayt, the Temple Mount. You're always making Aliyah. You're always striving through, through your physical action to make a spiritual connection. Your, your spiritual action is, is, or your physical action is to make a spiritual connection. That's what Aliyah is about. You're making Aliyah. You're going up. You're ascending. You're connecting to Hashem. So we're talking about a very specific mountain, Harabite, the mountain, which Harabite literally means the mountain of the house. The place... That's Yeshua called the house of prayer for all nations. So the spies are supposed to return from their journey. And what are they supposed to do? But invite the rest of the nation. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord of hosts and to the God of Jacob. That was supposed to be their invitation. That was the calling Let's, let's see it. Let's do it. Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord of hosts. But that wasn't their invitation. They had no invitation. They didn't. All they had was, was grumblings and groanings and complaints against God and against his land. And do the spies ever make it? Well, I think you can guess. They never make it. They never make it to the Temple Mount. Next slide. Here we go. These are the words of Yeshua. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then in Acts 1 4, he says, And he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So what's happening in Yerushalayim? Yeshua is telling the disciples, stay in Jerusalem because guess what? When you go there, something's going to happen. It's the same with the spies. Guess what? When the spies, had the spies made it to Jerusalem, something would have happened, but they never made it. Never made it. They rejected the promises and covenants of God. And so Yeshua is saying, stay in Yerushalayim because something is going to happen when you put your eyes and your focus on Jerusalem. Moshe tells his shlachim, and we'll start using that word now because now we know, that we know it's kind of the same word. The spies were shlachim. They were emissaries on behalf of the nation of Israel, Yeshua. So Moshe tells his shlachim to go to Harabite, to the Temple Mount. Yeshua tells his shlachim, his emissaries, his sent out ones, to stay in Jerusalem. Because something happens in Jerusalem. God's saying, seek me where my name is. Seek me in the place where I said I would put my name. Let's go to the next slide. And so here's where the spies went. They went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. And the descendants of Anak were there. And in Hebrew it says, Vailu v'negev, vailu ad Hebron. So this was the journey of the spies. Let's go to the next slide. 
Very interesting, it says the Hebrew here begins in the plural and it ends in the singular. They went up. They went up through the south. They were on a journey. This was their journey. They're going into the land of Israel. They're going into the promised land. They went up. But then it doesn't say, and they came into Hebron. It says, It should have said, And they came, but instead it says, and he came into Hebron. So, who went to Hebron? And then, why Hebron? Out of all the places that you can go to the land of Israel, why, anybody, you can answer on this one. I have, I've been asking questions, but that was just... Why would you go to Hebron? I heard something. For Forefathers. Wow. You go to Hebron because of the forefathers. What is it about the forefathers? Let's go to the next slide. Hebron was home of the patriarchs and the matriarchs. The last place, Genesis 23, talks about Abraham. Avraham Avinu, Abraham our father. And it says that he bought a plot of land. Where? In Hebron. Very interesting, because if you go to modern-day Israel, well... Let's back it up. If you, if you look in, in Tanakh, you find three places in, that were purchased in, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible by men of faith. The first was Hebron, Abraham. The second was Yaakov and Shechem. And the third was David Melech, David the king in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And you want to know what parcels of land are currently in the, the most disputed in all of the land of Israel, which ones are they? It's pretty easy to guess. Hebron, the land that was purchased by Abraham. Shechem, the land that was purchased by Yaakov. And Harabait, the Temple Mount, which was purchased by David the king. This battle is real. You see, and, and that's what I think gets to me so, so much as we've over-spiritualized everything because when you go to the land of Israel and you realize that the physical reality of this book, it changes how you live and how you read because you see the battle and the, the Arabs know it. They know that there's a battle. There's not, it's, not, it's not by mistake that, they take, that they've taken this building over. Obviously, this is a Herodian building in Hebron. This was built... During the time of Herod, this isn't what, what the spy saw, or what the one spy saw when he went there. But the Arabs recognize it. That's why you can see the minarets there. This is a, a mosque. It's shared half, well, not necessarily half and half. The Arabs have a good portion of it. In Shechem, it's con completely controlled by the, by the Arabs. And Harabite, the Temple Mount, is controlled by the Jordanian Waqf. They know that there's spiritual significance to these places. The Jewish people know that there's spiritual significance to the land of Israel, but we don't know that there's spiritual significance to the land of Israel. Why aren't we getting this? This, is, this journey that we're on is not just a spiritual journey, but there's also physical places, a physical land that God's called the people to. And why is it so important? That's a good question. Why is it so important? 
Because if God didn't say, this is the place where I put my name, where would we come together to meet him? We could have a congregation here in Dallas and we can have a congregation in California and we can have a congregation in China and we can have a congregation in South Africa and we can have a congregation, but where do we meet him? All together in one accord in one, one place. Isn't that what we read in, in Acts chapter, chapter two? What does it say? The disciples, they were in one accord in one place and the place that they were at, the house, was filled with the presence of God. What house? not the upper room. They met at the temple. If you continue reading in the book of Acts, it, said that, it says that the, that the disciples were continually in the temple, day and night, together. The importance of this is what, you see, this spy recognized that he had to go to somewhere physical and separate himself from the evil report that the other spies were going to make to the nation. So who of the spies was the one to go to Hebron? We got a 50-50. We're only two. Caleb. Caleb was the spy. And how do we know Caleb was the spy? Well, first of all, let's go to the next slide. Tradition, tradition tells us. No, the sages understand this to be a reference to Caleb, whom they credit with the urge to pay his respects to the graves of the patriarchs and his desire to get moral support against the negative attitude of most of his companions. Caleb separated himself from his companions. Why? Because he needed to connect himself to the physical. There was a physical place where his spiritual forefathers and his physical forefathers had actually lived and believed the promises of God. He was separating himself from those who didn't believe, from those who were gonna bring a bad report about the land of Israel, and instead he was connecting himself to those who did believe and who did have faith, who did, did have faith and who did connect to the covenants and the promises of God. But this isn't just tradition. You see, in Joshua chapter 1 and Joshua 14, we actually find Caleb receiving his inheritance in the land of Israel. And, which, and, you know, and it says, he's, and he specifically says, the ground upon which the soles of his feet tread will become his. What, what inheritance did he get in the land of Israel? Hebron. Hebron. He's receiving his inheritance in the place where the soles of his foot tread. So Caleb goes to Hebron all alone. He separated himself from the whispers of others in order to strengthen himself at the cave of the patriarchs, the ones who believed and lived and were faithful to the promises of God. And I think that's, how does that apply to us? Is that we can't play the game anymore. We can't pr pretend that we're a part of Israel and, and dance the hora and and wear the tzitzit, and then come back and give the bad report and stop the people from entering into the promises and covenants of God. And this doesn't stop here. This is just the beginning. We don't come to a, a, a service on Shabbat just to get our, our check mark. 
and leave, but we come to connect to something that's greater, and that's exactly what Caleb is doing. He's connecting to something greater. He's connecting himself to those who believed. He's connecting himself to the covenant of Abraham. And there's a reason why, all of, obviously, all of us are children of Noah, right? That's pretty obvious, because we're all here. But there's, there's a reason why in the Brit Chadashah, in, 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 in the writings, it calls us children of Abraham. Because Abraham believed God. And he believed in his promises and his covenants. And not only did he believe God, but he made a claim on God's promise. He staked his claim. He said, I'm going to purchase this piece of property, this land, because I believe that my descendants will return. And guess what? They did. He came back. Caleb came back. And he said, I needed to connect myself to those who really believed God, to those who never saw, never saw the, the ultimate covenant come to pass. They, they, they heard the covenant. They believed it, but they never saw it, and they held fast. And Caleb said, I want to connect to that. And that's for us today. We have to connect to this. We have to connect ourselves to the faith of Abraham. Those who don't see and yet believe and follow God with everything that we have. In Joshua 14, 14, it says, Caleb, and may it be said of us as well, he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. He wholly followed. With everything that he had, he followed the God of Israel, no matter where it took him. In Numbers 14, 24, God says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit. Why was he chosen? And why was he called? He had a different spirit. There was something different about him. What was it? He believed God. He was connecting to the God of his forefathers. Because he had a different spirit and followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went. Let's go to the next slide. Hebrews 3, 16 through 19 tells us, For who having heard, this is the nation of Israel, after hearing the message of of God from the, from the from or hearing the message of the spies and not heeding the message of God it says for having heard rebelled indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses now with whom was he angry 40 years was it not with those who sinned whose corpses fell in the wilderness so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief because of the sin of 10 men, a whole generation perished in the wilderness, and a whole other generation was in the wilderness for 40 years. 10 men, a minyan. That's all it took to take a whole generation and cut them out of God's promise, and another whole generation, 40 years of exile in the wilderness. And if we're not getting this, 
I would say we're part of the problem, but we have to get this. If you're sitting in this room, we have to get this. This is the message. We have to enter into the promises of God. We have to take God at his word. We have to believe. Otherwise, it only takes 10 men. And guess what? It, when, when Abraham is pleading on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah, the most wicked of nations, of, of cities, that the world has ever known, all that, all that they needed, all that they needed was 10 men. All they needed was 10. For good or for bad, all we need is 10 men to grab this message and to run with it, but we can't enter in because of our unbelief. And it wasn't just the, 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 the spies. Let's go to the next slide. The Gospels, it's the same attitude. Mark 6, 5 through 6. He could do no mighty work there, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Matthew 13, 13 58. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Matthew 8, 25 through 26. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. You of little faith, Yeshua replied. Why are you so afraid? Next slide. Later, Yeshua appeared and rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, for they did not believe those who had seen him risen. John 20, 27, Yeshua said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. In Mark 9, 24, immediately the boy's father cried out, God, I do believe. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. This is the message that I want to get. That we need to stop the spirit of doubt. The spirit of, and thank God. It says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. Very interestingly enough, I didn't have this in my notes, but it's, it's, it's another just powerful message if you if you look at the story of the Amalekites the Amalekites come against the nation of Israel it's very interesting because if you look at and I forget the I'm sorry I forget the reference but if you look at the story it immediately says it says that the children of Israel had this question they said is God among us or not and the next, it's the next chapter, but it's the verse, I mean, Hebrew doesn't have chapters, right? So it's exactly the next verse after that. It says, the children of Israel asked the question, is God among us or not? And the Amalekites came. Is that a coincidence or not? Because Amalek and Gematria, which is basically the numerical value of the letters, is equal in in Hebrew to the, is equal, is equal in, in value to the word safek. And safek means doubt. So what happens? Children of Israel say, is God among us or not? Doubt, and guess what shows up? Amalek. Because they're connected to each other. But that's not the end of the story. Because in that story, it says that Joshua took the men of Israel and they went to, to wage war against the nation of Amalek. And whenever Moshe held his hands up, the children of Israel were winning. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek was winning. And so it says that Aaron and Hur, right? Aaron, the brother of Moshe and Hur, took Moshe and sat him down 
and they held his hands steady until the going down of the sun. Well, Israel won. But interestingly enough, it doesn't say they held his hands steady, but in Hebrew, we have doubt. And how do you defeat doubt? It says that Aaron and Hur held his hands up in faith. And by faith, they were able to defeat the spirit of doubt. Is this making sense? Are you connecting to this? By faith, we're defeating the spirit of doubt. When we ask the question, and the nation of Israel is asking the question, is God among us or not? When we ask the question, is God among us or not? Guess what? The spirit of Amalek is right there. The Lord said, I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. We're still, <laughs> we're another generation. And guess what? God is having a war with the spirit of doubt. And how do we defeat the spirit of doubt? Be'emunah faith. But it's not just Moshe. Moshe didn't, held, didn't hold his hands steady by himself in faith. Aaron and Hur had to be by Moshe, holding his hands up. You see, it's not just faith of one man, it's the faith of a community that will defeat the spirit of Amalek, that will defeat the spirit of doubt, and will allow us to say, I do believe. And we won't have to say the other part. We won't have to say anymore, help my unbelief. We can just say, I do believe. And it's obvious in every area and aspect of my life, I believe. And there is no denying what I believe. So the Israelites and the spies cannot enter into the promises of God because of unbelief. Yeshua's generation cannot enter into the fullness of what he came to bring because of unbelief. Let's go to the next slide. <clears throat> Numbers 13, 23 through 25 says, Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, which means the valley of the cluster, and they cut down a branch with a cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole, and they also brought pomegranates and figs, and the place was called the valley of the cluster of Eshkol, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Let's go to the next slide. Actually, let's, uh, sorry, sorry, let's go to the slide before that. So they carried it between two of them on a pole. Keep that in mind. Next slide. Rabbeinu Bachia tells us, the Torah wants to tell us that whereas all the other spies combined were unable to lift this cluster of grapes after it had been cut, Joshua and Caleb managed to lift it and carry it between them. What does this mean? The believers are the ones who are worthy to carry the fruit. The believers are the ones who can come with the message that the land is good. It's obvious. Let's go to the next slide. It's the, it's the same message. In Matthew 10, 8, Yeshua tells his disciples, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. It's the same message. It's the fruit. It's the fruit of the land. It's the fruit of God's promises. This is what happens when you believe and trust in God. You see, you heal the sick, you cleanse the, All of these things are happening, and you can carry that fruit because you believe. Because you believe. Only they can carry it, though. Right? We, went, we looked at Rabbeinu Bachia. He says that the other, that other ten spies could not carry the fruit of the land. 
10 of them against two. But the two not only could carry it, but they were worthy to carry it because they had faith and believed in the promises and covenants of God. And that's, that's for us too. It didn't end back then. We can walk in the fruit of the Spirit. We can walk in the fruits of what we see here. We can heal the sick and cleanse. We can see all of that happening, but we have to believe. We have to enter in, and we have to carry the fruit, and we have to stay and be willing to stand in front of everybody against the whole nation and say, we can overcome because God is with us. We can overcome. We can enter into the promises and the covenants of God because he said, enter in, and we will. But the spies, they look at the fruit, and they see the large fruit, and this is their message to the nation of Israel. They say, if you think the fruit is gigantic, you should see the people. Right? Imagine that. If you, if you can see all of these good things happen, imagine what's out there to get you. And to be honest, it's not a lie. It's not a lie. Because there are things out there to get you. When you begin to walk in the calling that God has for you, there are giants in the land. And they're not nice. It's very interesting. Though these... These words are not connected to each other in, in, any, in any grammatical sense. The words anav and enav are basically the, the same word. So the, the word grape or grapes, so we have Joshua and Caleb carrying the fruit of the land it's grapes, anavim, carrying a cluster of grapes. Well, that's spelled ein nun beit, anavim. That's the root word. But the reason they could carry it was because they were also anavim. Another Hebrew word, which is ein nun vav, humble. They were humble. As it says in Psalm 149, 4, And I love this verse because literally you can translate this as God's desire is in his people. Remember we started off, God's desire is in his people. We started with Genesis. God's desire has always been, if you want to know what God's desire is, it's in his people. That's where his desire is found. And then it says, He will glorify the humble with Yeshua, with salvation. That's the message of Yeshua right there. He will glorify the humble and give them Yeshua. That's how we can overcome, and that's how we can walk in this and receive the fruit.
because of Yeshua. He gives the humble. Yeshua. Next slide. So here's the report of the spies. We're back to the spies, and this is their message. The same message of redemption, the fruit of the promised land is being re- revealed. It's, it's, it's the same message. Yeshua is revealing the fruit of what a life following him looks like. And it's the same message of the spies, what a life. The spies are saying, hey, if we follow God, we, we, will, we will walk triumphantly. But this is the message of the 10 spies that they come back. They said, the land, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people in the land are strong, the cities are fortified, and we saw the descendants of Anak there. Next slide. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers on our side, and so we were in their side. And I think it's funny. But which one of the spies asked one of the giants, do I look like a grasshopper to you? <laughs> like, like, who's backing this up? So we were in their sight. Who's, which of the giants said, hey, you look like a grasshopper? You see, when, when you believe something, not only do you begin to, to internalize what you believe, but you also get, begin to put that on other people. And so not only are they saying, I feel like a grasshopper, but everybody must see me like a grasshopper because that's how I feel. And I feel like a piece of garbage, so everybody else must see me like a piece of garbage, and so that's what I am. And so I was. So we, so, so we were. This is the discouraging words of the spies. But you know what's interesting? Is the most oft-quoted, or the, the, the most, yeah, the, most, the thing that God repeats throughout the Tanakh over and over and over and over and over again. He says it over and over and over again. You just have to go to Joshua and he says it a few times there. But he says the words, do not fear. Do not fear. Over and over and over again, God is saying to the people, do not be afraid. Do not fear. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world so you can overcome the world. But no, they believe that they're grasshoppers. That's not what, that's not how God viewed them. In fact, it says very interestingly enough, when God called the people of Israel out, it says that he called them according to their armies. That's a little overkill because they weren't armies for sure. They were just a ragtag bunch of slaves God saw them for who they were and who they were going to become, not what they were in the moment. He said, I'm calling my people out according to their armies because that's what they were going to be. Let's go to the next slide. You see, it's interesting because we know that the spies' words are a lie because the people didn't see them as grasshoppers. Because 40 years later, and we read it in the Haftorah, it says, by, by Rahab, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. This is 40 years later. This is after 40 years. The people of the land are still talking about what God did 
40 years ago if the people had only been ready to enter in. And the problem is, is that the spies weren't necessarily lying because there were giants and there were fortified cities and there were going to be many difficulties. The problem wasn't that. The problem was, was that they weren't believing the promises of God. God said, go in, take the land, and they would not. This is the problem. And this is the verse that breaks my heart. Well, before we go there, it's interesting because after all of this, it would seem, if you just look, if you look, read, look, read through the journey and how the spies went into the land, it would seem as though God is continually encouraging them. This is a good land. You see the fruit. You know, and, and it even just, it's, it's funny, but what does high walls mean in a society? It means you're not, you're not free and you're not, like when you go into a land and it has high walls and fortified cities, does that mean they feel comfortable? or scared. Everything is, is, is pointing to, this is going to be easy, guys. They're scared of us. They're hiding behind high walls. The, the land is good, and they're not willing to enter in. And this brings me to something that Rabbi Jonathan Sachs says, which I find very interesting. He says, the spies were not afraid of failure. They were afraid of success. What does that mean? does it mean they were afraid of success? <clears throat> we'll talk about this a little, a little more a little later. But when we say they were afraid of success, they recognized that living in the land would pull them away from just living Torah. Because you can't just read Torah and also have a farm and have to work it. And, and they, were, they recognized that, that if you go into the land, guess what? Real life starts. And then you're going to get drawn away from God and you're going to have all these distractions and all of these worries and all of these cares and it's going to continually draw you away from God. What's wrong with the wilderness? We could just stay here. God, why, why would you take us out of the wilderness? We were having a great time. In fact, if I can switch my slides around, can you go to the one where it says, the Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb. It's going to be further on. I think it's like two or three slides on. Because the spies, it's not that they were afraid of going into the land and getting defeated. They were afraid of getting disconnected from God because they recognized that the journey with God is in this world is a difficult one. It's not easy. But at the mountain, Deuteronomy 1, 6-8, this, this is after 40 years, God's finally speaking to the nation of Israel. 
telling them to go into the land. But I think it's very interesting how he phrases what, he sa- what, what, what he's saying. Hashem says to Moshe, you have dwelt too long, long enough at this mountain. Which mountain? Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai. And the spies thought, this is it. This is life. We get to live in the miraculous and the, and the supernatural. And, and, and we have, the, we have the, the manna, right? We're fed the manna every, every day. And, and we have the, the water that comes miraculously. And we have God's glory and his presence with us. We have the mountain of God right here. And we can, anytime we want, we can just study Torah and approach God. But that wasn't what the Torah was given for. The Torah was given. You've dwelt too long at this mountain. You need to go and change and bring Torah to the world. See, the spies were afraid of success, meaning that they were afraid of the distractions and all the things that would pull them away from God. But guess what? This world needs God. You can't be a recluse and sit in the wilderness and keep Torah and believe you're keeping Torah. That's not why the Torah was given. The Torah was given to enter into the land and to bring it to the world. That's what the, the disciples were commissioned to do. Bring the message of God to the world. Don't stay in the wilderness. You've dwelt long enough at this mountain. Don't rely on the miracles and the miraculous. Apply what you've learned to the world because Israel was called to be or Goim, a light. So let's go. I want to pull up this last slide because it's probably the hardest. Actually, I mean the the slide that we were at last. I'm sorry. It's the one that says, devours its inhabitants. Yeah, it's going to be the next one. This was the message of the spies. And this is the message I want us to take with us is the promised land, the promises of God is going to be difficult. And guess what? It's a land that devours its inhabitants. And to be honest, I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen so many people walk away. When you enter into the promises of God, it's not easy and there's so many distractions, and there's so many things that pull us away. It is. It's hard to be a spy and to say, go in and take possession of it because I've seen it devour so many people. But it's worth it. You have to go in. The risk is not that great if you just connect yourself to Caleb, like Caleb did to the faith of Abraham. It is a land that will devour its inhabitants. It is a land that's hard. It is a land that's difficult. It is a land that's always with distractions and pulling you here and pulling you there. But it's worth it in the end. And so you have to leave the wilderness. You have to leave the miraculous of walking with God and having him right there. And you have to leave the manna and the water and all of that behind to enter into the fullness of the promises. But are you engaging the world You see the land, and you see it devours its inhabitants. Are you engaging the world? Are you calling people out? 
or you a recluse keeping Torah by yourself in the wilderness? You know, Yeshua said, you are the light of the world. And this has continually been stri striking me. Yeshua said, you are. Israel is called to be Orlegoim, light to the, the nations. Yeshua said, you are, and all of you are included in that, you are the light of the world. He didn't say, you will be the light of the world. He didn't say, you might be the light of the world if you do such and such. He didn't say, you perhaps, maybe one day, somehow, some way, will, will become light of the world. You are the light of the world. And then he gives a warning later in, in his discussion. He talks about, and if light is darkness, how great is that darkness? Are we lying and deceiving ourselves? You are the light of the world. No matter if you've committed to this walk, then you are the light. And the calling of Joshua and Caleb is the same calling that was on the disciples as the same calling that's on us. We recognize that we live in a land that's difficult and is constantly pulling us here, there, and every which way. But we are called to be shlachim. We are called to be those saying, let us go up. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the God of, our, to the God of Jacob, and also saying to the world the message of Yeshua. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so, yes, it's difficult. Yes, I've seen so many friends that have been lost and devoured. I'm sure you have too. But the only way that we change it is not by staying in the wilderness and receiving from God. The only way that we change it is by taking God at his word, believing the promises and covenants and calling people and calling people out. And so the message of Joshua and Caleb, it's always stayed the same. It's the same for us. Let's take possession of what God has for us. Let's walk in what he has for us. And that's my calling to all of us. I know that we've, probably seen the difficulties of life and the constant pullings and distractions. But that's my invitation. Let's go up. Let's make Aliyah. Who knows? Just like it was with the disciples, with the spies. Who knows what happens when we get to Jerusalem together as one? Perhaps the spirit might fall again. So, Abinu Shabashamayim, our Father in heaven, thank you for the calling of Joshua and Caleb Thank you for the calling of Yeshua. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God, we know, and I, I'm sure we've all seen so many who have been devoured by the land and by the things of this world, and we ask that you would empower us to be those shlachim, those messengers, those spies who are bringing a good report back from the land and are leading the people up into your covenants and your promises. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling a people unto yourself and that day by day we're being conformed into the image of Yeshua, your son. We ask that you would continue to bless us this Shabbat. Thank you for Shabbat. And last, but certainly, certainly not least, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and that your kingdom would be established on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Yeshua, Messiah. Amen.